This is The Ordinary Christian Podcast, a podcast dedicated to real people like you seeking to live out your Christian faith in the ordinary aspects of everyday life. My name is Craig Thompson, and I'm your host for this podcast. I'm a husband, father, pastor, and writer. I hope that this podcast will help you to use the margins of your everyday life to live more intentionally for Jesus. Hello and welcome to episode 40 of the Ordinary Christian Podcast. Today I have with me uh, a friend of mine, Matt Crawford. Matt and I did PhD work together at Southern Seminary, so he's Dr. Matthew Crawford, I believe would be the most appropriate way to say that. But uh, uh, Matt is the senior pastor at Trinity Baptist Church in Cordova, Tennessee, Uh, has been there for just a few months now, so he's still getting his feet wet there. He's married to Christy. They have five children. And uh, he, he just told me that this is <clears throat> probably the best thing that happened in his life. When they moved to Tennessee, they moved from 1,400 square foot with seven people to a house that's about twice that size. So I'm sure that your <laughs> your stress level dropped immediately when that happened. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to have a little bit of room for kids to spread out and, and a room for them to play and, and for me to have an office. So, yeah, we're grateful for that. Awesome. But uh, I've, I've asked Matt to come on today. So he did his PhD work in uh, in aesthetics, at least part of it there. And I've asked him today to come on to the podcast and talk to us about pretty things, about what aesthetics has to do with the Christian life and why that matters. So um, uh, Matt, welcome and, and thank you for being with me today on the Ordinary Christian Podcast. Thank you, man. It's my pleasure. Excited to be here. So Matt, uh, just so you know, our, our goal uh, with this podcast is ordinary Christian folks. So not not a whole lot of PhDs are tuning in because not a whole lot of PhDs really care what I have to say. Uh, <laughs> I do. I'm I'm one who does. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Uh, but uh, for for a lot of ordinary folks that are listening, they're gonna maybe even ask the question: what What is aesthetics? What does that mean? So before we kind of get into a bigger picture, can you talk to us about what that word even means? Yeah, aesthetics. Uh, basically, I, I'd say in a short, short way, is this the study of what is beautiful, um, and that's that's kind of in a broad, a broad sense. It can mean you know uh, things that are attractive uh, to us, to the eye or to the ear, you know, our different senses. Uh, but how do we know what's beautiful? Which right away, uh, you know, we, we have phrases like "beauty's in the eye of the beholder." Uh, some people think beauty is completely subjective. I don't, I don't hold to that position. Um, but right away we can have debate over uh, how do we define that. Um, but aesthetics is, is looking at that and, uh, and trying to figure out how do we say it, is something attractive? Is it beautiful uh, in a broad sense? And, you know, we, we, um, you and I talked a little bit off air, but before you and I even got on today, I was having this conversation with our, our music pastor here, our worship pastor, Kevin, um, and that, that idea of beauty being in the eye of the beholder. Um, what, what do you say about that? Like, is, is there, um, sort of a, a definitional beauty? Is there something that is universally beauty um, or is beauty very subjective and, and really just what I think it is? Yeah, I think there's both an objective and an subjective element uh, to beauty uh, in that, yes, we do have uh, we do have differences of taste. And so something may appeal to me uh, more than it may to you, you know, uh, whether it's a certain type of music or a type of film but below that, in a more fundamental way, I do think there are objective standards of beauty. Uh, Francis Schaeffer talks about that uh, in a little booklet that he wrote called, called Art in the Bible. Uh, and he gives, and I'm off the top of my head, I don't remember all, he has about five of them, but he talks about, you know, 
Uh, is there, uh, are there, are there technical aspects of beauty, you know, so for a painter, you know, the, are his brushstrokes appropriate to, to, to display what he's trying to display? Uh, and so there's a technical aspect, uh, there's symmetry, um, there's the, d does the medium fit the message? Uh, for Schaefer, that's an important aspect of beauty. You know, we wouldn't, we, we would think it would be inappropriate, you know, to be at a funeral and hear, you know, a a really bouncy, upbeat kind of song. It just it just doesn't fit that that mood. It doesn't fit uh, the setting that you're or the or the uh, mood, the attitude or the uh, what you're trying to communicate. Uh, so that's an important aspect of of evaluating beauty. And then lastly, uh, he talks about the worldview content that's being communicated. Um, does does uh, is, is the truth content that's that a piece of art? Is is putting putting out there, whether it's a film or even painting. I mean, you know, there's there's lots of worldview found in the, you know the art of Picasso or or other artists who are sometimes communicating a very dark uh, worldview. Uh, how, is that a, is that beautiful in the sense that is it true? Does it fit with God's truth? Um, and actually, I think I just remember the last the last one. We're going here off the top of my head, but uh, Schaefer has a fifth, and it's that um, is there. Um, is there validity to the artist in that, in what he's putting out? So for example, like, you know, there's the days of the page, you know, the patrons of the arts back in the, uh, the Renaissance and that period of time, if an artist uh, painted something that didn't fit with his worldview, but just was uh, because someone gave him money that, that, that uh, takes away from the beauty of that piece of art, because it's not really coming from himself. It's just from money. Uh, there's a lack of validity in that. And so that 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 was uh, one of his criteria as well. I think those make a lot of sense um, because ultimately God is beautiful. Uh, and, and I think we mean that in a physical sense, when we see God face to face, we look forward to that vision, you know, what theologians call the beatific vision, seeing God in his beauty. Uh, we look forward to that transformative vision. Uh, but I think it's also broader than that. He's beautiful in his character. He's beautiful in his truth. Uh, he's beautiful, you know, in, in the way that he relates to his people, our relationship with him. Uh, and so all beauty in the universe flows from God. And he's made us, he's placed his image on us in a way uh, to appreciate and even to create beauty as echoes of what he's done, as aspects of the image of God in us. And so uh, there, yeah, there are objective standards and they come from God and his truth uh, and how what we're creating uh, or as Tolkien would say, sub-creating, since God's the actual only creator, um, that, that do those things fit with the truth and the universe as God has made them and the objective standards that I think he has built into creation. Mm. And so with that being said, let me just just quickly, hopefully this sort of is, uh, is, is, is a cherry picking for you, but how do we distinguish there then between like beauty that helps us to behold our creator God in idolatry, how do we how do we wrestle with that? Yeah, well, um, I, I think it's easy for things that are beautiful for us. You know, we we are created to worship, and our sin nature often likes to substitute the object of our worship. I think we see this sometimes, you know, in our culture with celebrity. So, you know, this obsession with celebrities in our culture. I don't think it's bad to. To have a you know a favorite actor or actress or musician uh, to enjoy their art, but when we begin to elevate them beyond other humans 
or even God forbid, you know, to the position of God in our lives or some type of authority figure that only God should have, you know, that he only should have that position, then yeah, we've, we've crossed uh, a line there. That's a, that's a clear line in scripture. Um, We, I think we have to fight that in a lot of areas in our lives, you know, make, we make, we'll make idols out of a lot of things, not just, you know, it's, money or or fame or pleasure or those kind of things so uh we we have to use you know as paul says uh, he says they begin to they stopped worshiping the create creator and began to worship you know creation or or uh, and so i think we have that same danger in things of beauty and uh, we have to understand that they point beyond themselves uh that lewis c.s lewis who i wrote my dissertation on uh, I don't know if you want to talk about that more. We can talk about that more, but man, uh, I do because you've been waiting just like I have for a long time for somebody to ask you about your <laughs> dissertation. Yeah. This is the first time since I graduated, right? Tell me about it. Yeah. I mean, we all want to uh, know. Yeah. So C.S. Lewis, uh, went through 20 years of atheism, basically, but he was on this constant search, even through that, of what was behind the beauty that he saw in the world. And, and that for him, that was uh, beauty in, in man-made art, but also in nature. He talks about this in Surprised by Joy early on in the book. Uh, I think in my copy, it's page seven. So it's a real early. Uh, <laughs> I was on that page a lot. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, he says that the things of beauty certain ones, not everyone, but he often, when he saw something that just was so overwhelming in its beauty, he felt this sense of Zainzucht. It's a German word that means desire or longing. And he said it was a pleasurable experience, but it left him wanting more, wanting to know what was behind the beauty that he had experienced. Uh, and so he was on this this search, and you can even read it in uh, his his first published work is called Spirits in Bondage, and a lot not a lot of Christians have read that. Um, he wrote it while he was still an atheist, part of the time while he was in the trenches of World War One. And as you read that book, certain poem or that it's a it's really a collection of poems. Uh, certain of them are are outright blasphemous. I mean, it's like he'll say something against God that you're like, yeah, that's that's blasphemy. And then like the next one over, he'll start talking about, you know, seeking for God or he'll use different terms for that. But but he's he's chasing after what's behind beauty. And so you can see this like tension in his own life as God is drawing him toward himself through the beauty that he's experienced in the world. And he has this sense that there's something behind that. There's something transcendent that has made the world this way, that has made him this way to appreciate beauty. And ultimately, he, uh, after about 20 years, admits that there's a God in the universe. He becomes a theist and then becomes a Christian. And, and so in all of his major works, uh, I found that he puts this somewhere, even his works of fiction, I have a character experience, something like what he experienced. And he's showing us how God draws us uh, through beauty. And so um, the Lord does that. Uh, but, you know, Lewis was right to look for what was behind beauty. It shouldn't be an idol for us. It shouldn't be the end in itself, but it is a wonderful gift from God uh, that he uses to point us to himself. So, so beauty can be a signpost and, and, and really an appreciation of beauty um, becomes an, an apologetic yeah. for us. Well, yeah, <laughs> I think it's a major apologetic in that I don't think a naturalist worldview, which and by naturalist, we basically mean someone who says that the material world is all that there is. That there's no supernatural, there's no God, just what you see in nature uh, is all that there is. I don't think a naturalist worldview can account for our shared experience of beauty, 
our, our shared appreciation of beauty, and even to some degree, our shared agreement on what is beautiful. So let's just take, for example, you know, a sunset over the Grand Canyon. I think pretty universally people are going to acknowledge that as something of beauty, right? You might have some weirdo who's just to be contrary and going to disagree with that. But I think pretty universally, cross-culturally even, we're going to say that is something that's beautiful. Why do we do that? <laughs> if, if from the naturalist worldview, you know, I'm just a collection of chemicals that have come together by, by chaos. It's unguided. It's an accident. And when I look at the Grand Canyon, look at the sun, it's also the complete product of accidental and, and chaotic uh, processes that that were not guided at all, that accidentally resulted in this thing that we together acknowledge is beautiful. I don't think you can explain that, that cross-cultural agreement on, on beauty, on appreciating beauty, on wanting to create things of beauty and, and, uh, and enjoying uh, them together, and even having some level of objective standards of beauty. Um, I think a Christian worldview, and in particular, it's, it's theology of the image of God, is what makes sense out of that. Uh, because as I said earlier, I think, you know, Scripture explains God's beauty, uh, his, his creation of a beautiful universe, and his creation of, uh, of us with the image of God that we reflect him in our desire to, to enjoy those things the same way. I think the Christian worldview makes much more sense of our shared uh, appreciation of beauty. And I think that is an apo a powerful apologetic argument. Yeah, and the Christian worldview, and you mentioned the the the, the image of God, the Imago Dei, living within within yeah. humans, all people. Yeah, gives us the ability to appreciate beauty, right? Yeah. So just as we say, and I appreciate what you say, cross culturally, because uh, some some beauty is not necessarily cross cultural, but those things that are truly beautiful are beautiful for everybody from you know Camden, South Carolina, to Sub-Saharan Africa to. Uh, Shanghai, China, and all the places in between. So those beautiful sunsets are those things that are universally accepted. Um, but at the same time, we've never seen a dog appreciating a sunset, right? Not, not even. I mean, I've got, like, I've got the smartest dog in the world, you know, and and even he doesn't doesn't yeah. sit and and bask in the beauty of a sunset, you know, and elbow somebody and go, oh my gracious, right? right. He might howl at the moon, but he's never been struck. Uh, dumb or, or silent by the beauty of yeah. the moon. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, and I think when you talk about apologetics, I think this is an area in which our apologetics is sorely lacking. I'm not saying there's nobody, but I'm saying, I think we've spent so much of our energy in apologetics doing cerebral things, you know, apologetics of the head, uh, you know, arguments for this and, you know, syllogisms and trying to work through things that we need that. We need people who are going to really rigorously think through answers to you know objections to our faith and such things like that. But I think we also have to have more apologetics of the heart, explaining why this world makes sense, why our, our appreciation of things that aren't you know full of you know, logic and arguments. Why do we have that? And and uh, is there a reason for it? And and what's interesting, there's a book by a guy named Paul Vitz, V I T Z. Uh, I think it's called Faith of the Fatherless. And Vitz talks about how so many really influential atheists over the years, and he gives a, you know, a whole list of guys. Uh, he says so many of them were not argued out of, out of the Christian worldview by someone who 
you know, just came with these incredible atheistic arguments and logic and reason and rationality. Instead, what happened was somewhere at some point in their life, their, they, they, their heart was hurt by something. There was something painful they went through. Someone in the church was a hypocrite. You know, someone hurt their family or they, they lost their father. Uh, you know, and that's the pattern that he points out. But these kinds of elements of grief and suffering in our heart often are turning points for these people that become these influential atheists. And then they, they go out and seek and marshal these arguments that they're trying to use to attack our faith. I think our arguments can help counter those. But I think we also also need to accompany that with apologetics of the heart that speaks to the pain and the emotional loss that they've experienced and says there's a God uh, who is making all things new, right? He's making everything beautiful in its time. And so there's answers to both. So um, before we get there, one of the things that we only publish the audio here. So one of the things that's really fun for me is when I get to interview folks like Matt, uh, who are passionate about a particular thing. And I, I wish that you all could see what I see is the, the light that comes in your eyes when you're talking about like we're, we're right in your your wheelhouse. But and I'm, I'm thankful for that. But I, I just I want to kind of uh, piggyback a little bit off of your uh, speaking to the heart. However, you said that. Craig, can I say one additional thing about that? I was talking. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I just want to add this. If you if you're if you like C.S. Lewis and you haven't read these two books yet, you should read um, the Problem of Pain and A Grief Observed. And I say those together because the Problem of Pain is a cerebral, head oriented <laughs> response to the problem of evil, where he goes through and answers arguments. A grief observed is his own wrestling with the loss of his wife, Joy. And it is it is raw, but it's his heart argument, his heart answer, I guess I would say, to the problem of evil, even as he is angry at God at her death and honest about that and wrestling, but ultimately comes back around to faith. Really so, wrestling, wrestling with whether or not he's going to continue yeah. to be a man of faith. And, uh, you know, I, I have, I've given that, I'm looking toward my shelf. I don't. I don't even know. I still have given that book away so many times. I've had to rebuy it over and over and over again um, for those folks who've lost their spouse, and, and it gives them uh, a grief. Observe has given so many people in my my life permission to grieve. Yeah. Honestly, right. Yeah. Read um, the Psalms. The Psalms are exactly the same. Yeah. Way. Yeah. 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 But but it, because. So much, unfortunately, of our Christian experience has been so many Sunday school answers that people get afraid to be raw and honest with the Lord. And one of the the best pieces of advice I ever ever received, I had a friend that died when I was in high school. And um, I remember I was so angry with the Lord. I was, you know, I was 17 years old. Um, I didn't know anything about the world. I just knew I was angry. And, and Matt, you don't know all this. This is a, a huge part of my my testimony of, of my call to ministry. It was in that period of time that the Lord called me to ministry. But uh, the best advice that my pastor gave me at that time, I, I, I said, I'm so angry. And he said, have you told the Lord about it? Yeah. I said, well, 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 no, I'm, I'm angry with him. And what he said, he said, he's big enough to hear it. And and that, man, that was powerful for me as a 17-year-old kid to be reminded that God is our lovingly, lovingly, loving heavenly father who can 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 take it. He can hear it from us, right? That David gave it. Now he, he came oh, back yeah. around. C.S. Lewis opened up and was honest. Yeah. Uh, so I appreciate you saying that, man. That's that's good stuff. 
you've given that book away a bunch. You may know this story, but uh, you know, when Lewis originally wrote that book, it was kind of his own personal diary that he, he wasn't planning on publishing necessarily. He wrote his diary of, of grieving and then he published it under a pseudonym. And Didn't the funny it. thing was people started giving it to him. Say, hey, you need to read this guy. He really gets no. you or whatever. You, no way. You, you know, you're still wrestling with the loss of joy. You need to read this book. And finally, he had to come out and say, I wrote it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that. That's so you, good stuff. You're in good company recommending that book to people. That's wow. <laughs> that I recommended to him. Wow. Well, listen, um, let's uh, let's let's piggyback um, off of this this sort of heart language or whatever. Is that the word you used? Heart language or speaking to the heart? Yeah, it's apologetics of the heart. Apologetics of the heart. Yeah. Uh, it's it's interesting you, you you emphasize us speaking into the heart because when we look at our world as it is, at least in the American in the Western context, um, m- maybe there's no greater world view opponent, if I can use that word, there's um, than. Uh, than really postmodernism that has now kind of given birth to what we see as critical theory. And the idea there, postmodernism, is that there is no overarching story. There's no real meta narrative. Um, you know, there's a rejection of Christianity, a rejection of anything that would. How? But but postmodernism really takes its um, it, it 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 gets its wings, I guess, as it were. It grows up as an art form. Um, so how, how, and I just threw this at you without giving you any, any, uh, warning. So how do we see sort of postmodern art, um, dismantling or, or maybe even other art forms that, that seek to dismantle the Christian worldview with their art? Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, I mentioned before, uh, Schaefer's under, you know, his view of art, one aspect of its beauty being the worldview that it's communicating. Uh, and, you know, with postmodernism's denial of any kind of real meaning in the world, I think we see this, uh, you know, one example would be uh, like uh, some of the films that have come out uh, that, that would be described as neo-noir, N-O-I-R, noir, like where there's, you know, you watch this film and it ends, <laughs> you know, all the bad guys succeed, all the good guys die, and it ends and nobody's held accountable. And you're just like, wait, what just happened? You know, or or, or you're you're following with the main character and they kind of unex, you know inexplicably die and, and it just ends and the credits roll and, and you just left with this empty feeling. Uh I, I think there's that just is jarring to us because I think we are right. As, as image bearers of God, to look for meaning and and truth and and actual beauty in, in what we see and take in. And so, um, postmodernism uh, denying that narrative, denying that uh, conveyance of truth in what we see, uh, that's one of the reasons a lot of us recoil uh, when we come across films like that, or we go into an ga- art gallery. Not that all of us do that all the time, but you go into an art gallery, and it's just, you know, it just makes no sense. Um, and what's, what, what are they trying to communicate with? Because like, I'll just be honest, a lot of folks that are going to hear this have walked into an art gallery and said, this is stupid because it makes no yeah. sense. But they've never thought through, what is that artist trying to communicate with that? And yeah. Matt, what do you see an artist trying to communicate when they, they put up a piece of, of, of art that makes absolutely no sense? Yeah, well, the funny thing is, I, I read a few years ago, there was someone who I think was uh, trying to prove a point and left a pair of glasses on the floor in an art uh, gallery. And... Uh, 
and people inter- try to interpret it, you know, as a, <laughs> as this great piece. And it's like, no, somebody actually literally just left their glasses on the floor, you know, <laughs> like, so they're trying to, trying to be avant-garde, trying to, oh, we're so forward thinking. Uh, and it's just, it's just empty. Um, and so remind me, what was your question again? I'm sorry. I kind of blanked on the question because I was thinking about the glasses. <laughs> I said a lot, a lot of people listening to this have probably walked into an art gallery, even yeah. if it was only on a field trip or something. Yeah. And I said, man, this doesn't make any sense. Like what, what, what are, what is an artist trying to communicate to us when they're, when they're putting up artwork, when they're taping a banana to a wall, you know, right. when, like literally, which is what we saw two years ago or so. Well, yeah. What are they trying to communicate to us in that moment? Yeah, well, a lot of a lot of modern art, I think, would subscribe to what we would call nihilism. Just kind of, you know, that there's zero meaning in anything. And even though, you know, postmodernism was postmodernism would say, oh, we're not trying to have some meta narrative. That actually is a meta narrative, right? Yeah. And so it's kind of a little bit self defeating. It's like if you're if you're describing the world in those terms, then you're creating a meta narrative. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, a lot of it's just an emptiness. And and come back to like the book of Ecclesiastes, which communicates that that the the what the world is chasing after is empty and vain. Uh, and what's interesting is Ecclesiastes has the verse that I think actually fits best with what Lewis was talking about when he talked about Zane Zucht and, and beauty that points us to God. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, he has made everything appropriate or it could be translated beautiful. That's where we mostly, most of the time see it. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. God has put eternity into our hearts where we look for a meaning that even transcends this life. Right, that that has an internal impact uh, that that is eternally true, uh, and and it's connected to the beauty that God has put into the world. And so we are right; we're on strong biblical foundations to look for that. But the world that denies God comes back to what Solomon starts the book of Ecclesiastes with: vanity of vanities. It's all vanity, chasing after the wind. Well, let's uh, let's 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 pivot to give you a little friend's quote there. Let's pivot for a moment. Um, and let's think about something that, that people are going to see in the streets a little bit more, maybe a little closer to heart. Let's talk about music just a little bit. We're going to talk about popular music, right? So we're going to talk about some really bad stuff, and then we're going to go Gen X for things that you and I can fully appreciate. <laughs> okay. um, so there, just because you, you you spoke of celebrity and beauty a minute ago, just yeah. because something is popular or celebrated doesn't make it beautiful, correct? Uh, yeah, uh, that, that's correct. Uh, everyone was bowing down to uh, the statue in Babylon that uh, Daniel and his friends, <laughs> or not uh, Daniel's friends, chose not to bow down to. You're going a different yeah. direction. I was thinking Florida Georgia line. Um, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I mean, that, that, that is a, a kind of music, right? Um, that is, that is, there's no real effort made in, in the majority of what those, those two guys are producing and and others in that genre, there's no real effort at creating beautiful things, right? They're, they're using algorithms instead to create celebrated things. Yeah. Does that, yeah, does that seem fair? Yeah, I would say it's it's uh, sort of formulaic. You're saying algorithms. I, I, I agree with that term. Uh, let's just kind of put these. I, <laughs> this is a funny thing that my wife and I joke about, actually, about a lot of country music. And I'm not a country music hater. I don't like Florida George Line because I don't really consider them country music. Uh, but... In country music, there's so many songs that are list based. You ever notice that? Oh yeah. The chorus is just a list it's, of things. Well, it's 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 like uh, I was listening listening to the radio the other day. One came on, and I thought, wow, this is like they've just packed keywords into a search. Yep. 
I mean, yeah. that, that really was what it was like. This guy was shooting bucks and, and drinking beers. And, and it was like, this is who we are. That yeah. every, like, like, like dude from South Carolina has ever thought about doing, he listed every single one of them, right? Yeah. All the way to Friday night football and, and all that stuff was in that one song. And I thought, man, they, if they just put those lyrics, if they make sure those lyrics get uploaded into Google, then they're like, let's forget whether anybody likes the song. They're gonna get they're gonna get hits over and over and over again because they're just keyword after keyword yeah. after keyword. A, a bot could write that song. Well. <laughs> Some of like them a, are like written that way. Yeah, yeah, I mean that, that, that's true. But then let's 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 take something. Let's go. Let's go all the way back to high school for you and I. Um, and uh, I, what 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 were you listening to in high school? That's fair. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm a little unusual. Uh, I uh, my parents allowed me to listen to the Christian station and the oldies station. Mm. Uh, so I did not listen to much music that was popular uh, at that time. And now I love a lot of you know basically 40s up through the 70s music. Uh, okay. and, but uh, so I'm a little bit weird in that. I'm not sure how this is going to go. We're going to throw this out. And, so I, and I was also a piano minor in college. So I, I've listened to and played a lot of classical music. So I'm a, I'm a weirdo and a nerd in this. Oh, wow. I definitely should have vetted this one first. Then. So <laughs> where I'm going, though, is that if, if, we, if when we look at art, so unfortunately, we can look at some of the things that are being put out there right now. Um, those formulaic songs that might not actually tell us anything about the person who's singing or writing the music other than they're trying to make money. Right. Yeah. Um, but then I, I often come back to this song by the smashing pumpkin. So this would have been in the nineties. Um, and uh, the, 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 the lyrics here, despite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in a cage. Despite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in a cage. Someone will say what is lost can never be saved. Despite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in a cage. This is somebody, as, as we come back to this, these descriptions of beauty, like it, it would appear based on you know what I know of Billy Corgan, the, the lead singer and others in, in, in that band and in sort of the genre they were a part of, it would appear that they were they were speaking, they, they definitely spoke for for much of the the angst of a generation in that place, right? That you know, we we feel like we're trapped, we we're spinning our wheels, what are we doing right here? Um, so there's, uh, it's, it's true in as much as it's, it's the, the depths of, of their heart. It's true in as much as it sort of fit with the culture surrounding them. Um, when we see these things in art, whether it's in song or in painting or in sculpture, when we see those things that speak to us of the longing of the heart, how do we respond with, with the hope of the gospel? Yeah, I think we have as Christians, we have to look at art in a multifaceted way, you know, so as as shocking and jarring as that song can be like, there still can be something and, and you know, this is very nuanced, <laughs> but there still can be something beautiful there in a, a sense of technical, uh, you know, what I mean, beauty, like, or uh, if, if you like that style, you know, you'll resonate with that more than others. Uh, and then second, in the fact that they're communicating something that other people can relate to. But the worldview content is, is it's sad. It's tragic. But, man, what an open door there. You know, we just talked a minute ago about someone being honest with God about in the Psalms or in their grief. Like someone's being honest in that. And so for a Christian, you know, if you're, you're, you're talking to someone who that song resonates with, you know, that to me is an open door to say, you know, God, and I don't cheese yeah. not cheese. And, and I mean, Unfortunately, like, lame about it, you know, but, you know, God is OK with you expressing. He can, like you said before, God can handle that. And you but know this, what? Is, 
this is what I was going to say. What I was going to say, you you don't know the song, but the the, the song goes I'm on. With the song. I'm familiar with the song. I oh, are you a little bit? Okay. I wasn't completely under a rock during. I wasn't hating on you, but I was just going to give you the 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 the, the end. Right. You know where, where he he says, "Tell me, I'm the only one. Tell me, there's no other one. Jesus was an only son for you." But then he ends the song with, "And I still believe that I cannot be saved, and I still believe that I cannot be saved." You know, so there's. In, in this, there's 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 the real the reality that this this man has been exposed to Christ in some yeah. way, that he's heard about Jesus, and yet he still doesn't believe. But but what an open door there is for somebody who has been exposed. But we we only get that, and this is a, a really more popular form of of art, right? But we still get it if we listen to what he's saying and and listen to what his heart is saying in that moment. Yeah, honestly, like <laughs> I would rather have that confession, uh, that honesty than someone who would say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, you know, or yeah, I believe in Jesus, but there's no evidence of that in their life, right? For us, you know, we both serve in the Bible Belt. And, you know, some people have put it this way that our bigger challenge sometimes is getting people lost before we get them saved, meaning, getting them to realize their state, you know, to realize that they need Jesus and that he actually is enough, you know, and that, you know, Corrigan, he's saying, I don't think it's enough, but he's acknowledging he's heard this truth. And to me, that's, that's actually pretty good fertile ground for further conversations. And that to me is often the place where the, uh, the come back to beauty, the beauty of a life lived in holiness and love can draw people like that in where they see the difference that salvation makes for you and me. Yeah. So we, we're, we're hearing, and, and if you're hearing a song similar to that, that's sung with darkness, like the, an, an ox and anger, even in a bitterness and a longing, you know, what, what you, you hear someone say that, whether they sing it or if they say it, um, you know, what, what argument do we have that's going to be more powerful than than a loving response of brother, I love you, and God loves you in this moment, right? There there may not be a a um an intellectual argument that would convince this, right? Because he's apparently heard the truth. He still just can't, believes he can't be saved. Why would you believe that? Um, why why would you believe it? What are the things? Perhaps a, a listening ear or, or a loving response opens the door. Yeah, and that's to me. You know, we talked a lot about art and galleries and films and music, but uh, a lot of people might hear this this podcast episode and be like, like I, I can't relate to a lot of that. I, I never go to art galleries or uh, I don't like movies that much or whatever. But I think Lewis's point about beauty drawing us to God is just as true with regard to uh, how we live our lives, hmm. you know, our character, because there's so much in scripture about our witness and our, you know, before the world, do, does our life, do our lives fit the truth that we claim? And there's a clear beauty there, right? I mean, the scripture even talks about that almost in artistic terms, Romans 8, 29, that he's conforming us to the image of Christ. And when I read that text, I think of, you know, a sculptor having a block of marble, right? And he knows he can picture what it's going to look like at the end. And he's knocking off all the pieces that don't look like the, the image that he has in his mind. And that's exactly what God is doing in us as he, he's conforming us to the image of Jesus. And so he's knocking off parts of our character that don't fit with who Jesus is. And he's creating something of beauty, right? right. Presenting it to himself, this bride, 
you know, holy, faultless, blameless, washed with, uh, by the water of the word, you know, all, all these kinds of things that God is doing. And that is a testimony to the world that is just as powerful, if not more, uh, as, as what we see in, in art and nature. And so you can uh, demonstrate this as you pursue Christ and become like him. People will see the beauty of your character and your life, and it shows the truth of the gospel. And, and I, I really appreciate because we, we really need to be bringing this to a close. I appreciate you putting it that way because, again, for, for most ordinary folks sitting in your pews, the pews of your church and sitting in the pews of my church, um, that, that and, and, and for most of the people that, that we're going to encounter in our daily lives, uh, the reality is that the beauty of a life lived consistently, faithfully committed to Christ um, and, and honoring him is going to speak more clearly and more loudly than, than any, any painting or any, any song that they're ever going to hear. Right. This is yeah. where I appreciate, and you can appreciate Francis Schaeffer, but, but we can look at Francis Schaeffer's writings and much of it appeals to a certain, a certain demographic, but perhaps maybe not always to the demographic that, that we are, that we're living in. Um, and, uh, um, and, and just so thankful for you to, to remind us all that beauty is is not just in the eye of the beholder and it's not just in an art gallery, but it literally is in a, a healthy relationship between husband and wife. It's it's in a it's in a it's in a home that is balanced and that puts Christ first and that loves their children well. Um, that, that beauty is is in raising children and in, in the very, very ordinary things of life. Um, I mean, I, I find beauty in a, in a perfectly executed squat, just to be totally honest, man. I see somebody do that right and, and go deep and come up with, uh, I had an old friend of mine that sent me a, a, a video of a high school kid squatting 405 for sets of five, set of five the other day. That's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Right? I couldn't, you know, I hadn't seen that in a long time from a kid that age. And, and there's, but there's beauty in seeing these, these bodies that God's given us to, 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 to accomplish those things. Um, and, 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 and we can do that. And there's, we can appreciate what God's done and who God is in the midst of those very ordinary things. Yeah. I see that look in your eyes again, what you got? Oh, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. This is, and he goes on to describe how beautiful a vision this is. He's talking about New Jerusalem, but he says like a bride adorned for her husband. This is, you know, this is the place where the bride of Christ is going to be with his people. And so I think you get, or the, I'm sorry, the bride of Christ is going to be with Jesus. Uh, and so I think you get an idea here of uh, the beauty of God's people that he's made for himself, for his own glory. And he's joining in, you know, with them in this eternal marriage. Uh, and so that's, he's making us into that collectively. We are the bride of Christ. He's making us into that. Ephesians said, he's growing us into this holy temple in the Lord, right? It, this beautiful vision of who he's making us to be. And he's doing it now. He's not waiting till then. Sanctification is happening now. And it points to the gospel and the truth of who God is. And, uh, and, uh, and all of us are called to participate in that. Man, that's a great place for us to close. I really, I really would like to take another about half an hour and, and hear you talk about um, the importance, like, like, how how as we seek to create beautiful things, how we honor the Lord in our in our sort of sub creator 
um, role, right? That that we as as we are imitating him in our in our efforts, but uh, we we really are out of time. And if we start down that rabbit hole, we might be here for another thirty minutes yeah, or we'll so. Have to, I'll have to double my fee if we do that too. So. I, well, I will I will pay you twice what I'm paying <laughs> you for this one. But uh, man, I I just really appreciate it, and um, uh, you know, I, I think and and I hope that maybe the folks who are going to tune in can develop a greater appreciation for um, this sort of philosophical concept that, that maybe they've heard but haven't really appreciated that is aesthetics and how it is that it applies, not just in the um, in the academic world perhaps, but it, it applies in the very real mundane aspects of our ordinary lives. So I appreciate you coming on today. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Ordinary Christian Podcast. I hope that you will use the information in this podcast to encourage you to love Jesus in the ordinary aspects of your daily life. Jesus surrounded himself with very ordinary people who made a difference in the world because of their Savior. You can make a difference too. If you would like to read more of my writings or find other podcasts, you can find information about me on my website at www.craigthompson.org. For information about Malvern Hill Baptist Church and sermons from our church, you can go to our website at www.malvernhill.org. Until next time, use the ordinary margins of your life to make an extraordinary difference in the world around you.